Revelation 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. There went out another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that sat on thereon to take peace from the earth, and they that that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard of a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, Measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the four parts of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated this morning. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would take the message and speak to our hearts. I ask you this morning to touch the heart of both the saved and the lost. God, I pray you'd bind Satan this morning and any foul spirit that would grieve the Holy Spirit in any way. God, I pray that you would be lifted up in our midst and be glorified. I pray that you'd hide us behind the shadows of the cross and may we see no man save Jesus only this morning. God, may you receive maximum glory. I pray that your son would be honored and glorified in our midst and I pray that the church would be edified. Sinners would be drawn to the cross of Calvary. And Lord, may we all leave challenged and changed for the glory of God this morning. Father, I pray for liberty and vocabulary. Help me not to say anything this morning that would grieve you in any way. And Father, we'll love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach this morning on this subject on the four horsemen. The four horsemen. Chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Revelation is a very great chapter. Because when you consider these two chapters, John has left earth and he has went to heaven he has took us to the throne of God. He has seen the throne of God and the one that sat on that throne, God himself, the creator of the ends of the earth. He saw the lamb that stood in the midst of the throne. He has worshiped with the heavenly angels around the throne of God and heard the angelic choir as they sang and they lifted up his voice. Well, when you come to chapter number six, John says in verse number one that he saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. What is happening is John is now leaving heaven and taking us back to earth and is going to give us a view of what's going to take place concerning these seven seals. We know that there's seven seals and seven trumpets and seven vials. Under the seven seals, we know that the earth is going to be ruined by man. Under those seven trumpets, we know that the earth will be ruled by Satan. And under the seven vials, we know that ultimately the earth will be rescued by God. In the beginning, man ruins everything. Satan takes control but the ultimate end is that God is still on the throne and that we are on the winning side. Amen. I want to tell you it doesn't matter how dark this world gets this morning. I want to tell you God is still in full control and as I mentioned last week while the devil may be on the rampage and on the loose, the devil is not in control. Amen. I tell you there's only one that's in control and when we come to this text it reveals that God is not only the God of heaven but he 
is also the God of earth. Amen? That the one that rules in heaven is the same one that's going to rule on earth. He's going to prove that by the opening of these seven seals. But four of these seals in this text this morning are known as the four horsemen. I want to look at these horsemen for a few moments this morning and then just bring a conclusion of what God has laid upon my heart this morning. I want you to see first of all the reality of these horsemen. Notice in this text from verse number one all the way down to verse number eight. I want you to see the terminology of John as he is writing about these horsemen. He reveals the reality of these horsemen. Notice in verse number one that John says, and I saw, amen? And then a little later in verse number one, he says, and I heard as it were. In verse number two, he says again, and I saw. He says a little bit later in verse number uh, verse number four, he says, or verse number three, and when he'd opened the second seal, he said, I heard the second be say. In verse number five, he said, when he had opened the third seal, he said, I heard the third be say. In verse number six, he said, and when I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts. In verse number seven, he says, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast. And then verse number eight, John says, and I looked, amen, over and over, not just in these verses, but all throughout the book of Revelation. He is emphasizing what he saw and he's emphasizing what he heard. Why is John doing that? He wants us to know that this is not some figma of his imagination. I wanna tell you, friend, this is not some story hatched out of the boughs of Hollywood. It's not some, listen, some story fresh out of a comic book somewhere. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the four horsemen is a reality, amen? What John wrote in the book of Revelation, as sure as he wrote about heaven, he wrote about earth and he wrote about the torments and the tribulation on earth and every bit of that is what he saw and what he heard. John was an eyewitness, my friend, of things that are to come. And I wanna say the reality of these horsemen, my friend, this morning is very soon to come in this world, amen? Brother, I'm telling you, John is gonna talk about what these horsemen represent here in just a moment. But I think there's a, we're living in a generation today, they've seen so much Hollywood and they've seen so much uh, video games and they've saw so many things uh, on the internet uh, that what the devil is doing is using that as a tactic and a tool to rob the reality of what the Bible says, uh, that when they read it now, they don't believe it anymore than what they've seen on the video screen, uh, what they've seen on the television screen, I want to say this morning, what's on TV may not be real, but what's in the Bible is this morning, amen? It is going to come to pass. It will surely happen as God said it would. God has never lied. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. I'm talking about the reality of these four horsemen. Secondly, not only the reality of these horsemen, but I want you to see the, the representation of these horsemen. What do they represent this morning? Every single one of them represent the torment and the torture of the tribulation period and God's judgment upon this earth. Amen. I want to tell you the world is under judgment right now. You say, preacher, it's Father's Day and I'd like to preach on fathers, but it's not what the Lord wants me to preach this morning. 
And when I think about these horsemen this morning, I see the first horse in verse number two. As the Bible said, John said, and when these seals were open, he heard as it were the noise of thunder. And one of the beasts said, come and see. It's interesting to note that these beasts introduced these four horsemen. These four beasts here are introducing each one of them. And he said, I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him had a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he, was, he went forth conquering and to conquer. What I see in verse number two is that color white of that horse. It represents a false righteousness. It represents a false uh, purity that is to come. It represents and symbolizes uh, a false victory that will happen. My friend, this is uh, we know to be the Antichrist that will come on the scene. Now, not all of these horses are per, uh, reveal a person, but they do uh, represent a, a personification of someone or of something that is to come. But this first horse represents the Antichrist. The Bible says he's on a white horse. Uh, he symbolizes Christ as he comes. Uh, in Revelation 19, the Bible said that John saw him sitting on a white horse. Amen. But notice this man in our text this morning. The Bible says he has a bow, but he does not have an arrow. That bow represents uh, that he will be a military genius. Amen. He will be able to command and to lead forth armies. Uh, but the absence of that bow represents the fact that he will be a man of peace. Uh, now granted, it'll be a false peace, uh, but he'll step on the scene. Uh, he'll be a military genius. Uh, he'll be a political genius. Uh, my friend, he'll step on that scene uh, and he'll bring what the world has been searching for. He'll bring peace, uh, but it'll be a false peace. Can I get an amen right there? And so there's a bow, but no arrow. Then the Bible talks about that he has a crown that is given unto him. This symbolizes victory. And the word of God says that he's going to conquer and uh, that he'll be conquering and to conquer. Meaning that my friend, once he wins the victory, he'll continue to win battle after battle. He'll begin to win victory after victory. He'll be able to bring the, the nations together as it's never been done before. If you turn the headlines on this morning, you know that my friend, there is no world peace. That the world is searching for some type of peace. Uh, well, that's what the Antichrist is going to bring. He'll bring that false peace. Uh, he'll come in with that bow, but no arrow. He'll come in on that white horse representing a victory, representing authority, representing kingship, uh, representing somewhat of righteousness, uh, but it is a false righteousness. It is a false peace. Uh, it is false victories, amen, because the end of this man will be sudden destruction, amen. I want to tell you this morning, there's only going to be one king, amen. There's only going to be one type of peace, uh, and it'll not come from hell, it'll come from heaven, amen. It'll not be a man that will rule this world, but it'll be the son of man that will rule this earth. And so the first horse represents, my friend, it represents deception this morning. You know, we're living in a time of deception. The Bible said in the last days they would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they would turn away their ears from the truth. You know, people would rather hear lies to hear the truth nowadays. In fact, they'll drive cross country and they'll pay money, amen. You can charge them a seat if you'll lie to them. But you can't invite them in the doors if you're telling them the truth. 
man wants to hear what his ears want to hear. And I want to say thank God for good teaching like we heard this morning. But I'll tell you what this world needs and what this world's always despised uh, is the preaching of the word of God. Teaching has its place, you know that. But it's, there's no such thing as a teaching ministry. There's a preaching ministry, but there's no such thing as a teaching ministry. I do believe Sunday school teachers have their place in the church uh, and real preaching is teaching. But I tell you, preaching is confrontational. Preaching, my friend, demands a response. Uh, preaching gets, in, gets down to where we're at and it irritates the flesh uh, and it calls on the soul of man uh, and it touches more than the intellect, but it touches the heart of man. That's what we need in these days uh, is we need some old-fashioned preaching, amen. I see this first horse, uh, he represents deception. The only way to keep from being deceived is to stay with the truth, amen. Secondly, we see this second horse. He represents destruction, as the Bible says in verse number three, that when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now when you think about this rider on this red horse, what he represents, my friend, is he does not represent peace. Uh, but my friend, he represents, uh, uh, listen, the persecution. He represents war. The Bible said peace, uh, that power was given him that, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. Uh, he is gonna come in. And what he is gonna do is what Jesus said in Matthew 24 in verse number six when he said uh, that there shall be wars and rumors of wars and nations shall rise against nation and listen the Bible said that that's what this red horse is going to do he's going to stir up the Middle East uh, he's going to stir up the Western world against the Eastern world and the Eastern world against the Western world my friend listen he's going to come down and the Bible said God's going to put a hook in his jaw and going to bring him back he's going to put his eye on the nation of Israel he's not here to make peace he's here to make war. I want to say when you think about that red horse this morning, that red represents blood, amen? Because blood is going to be shed. The Bible said that this rider on this red horse, uh, that he should kill, uh, that peace shall be given, uh, that he'll take peace from the earth, that he should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And with that great sword, friend, will come a great slaughter. And you think about it this morning, Friends, family members, neighbors, loved ones. While we sit in prosperity and we enjoy the fruits of America, I'm here to tell you this morning that in just a few days when the trumpet sounds and the church is gone, the Antichrist will step on the scene for three and a half years. There will be somewhat of, is known as peace, but it will be a false peace. But that red horse is gonna rise. And I wanna tell you, there's gonna be war and bloodshed like the world has never seen before. Our friends and family members and loved ones that do not know Christ, my friend will die, many of them at the hand of the red horse. You think about this red horse this morning, what it represents, my friend, it represents outbreak of war upon this country. You know, we've been privileged in America for the most part to live in peace here on this soil. But one day war is coming to this soil like it has come to the souls of every other continent. One day, my friend, battles will be fought here just like it will everywhere else. Uh, there'll be no place to run or hide when the red horse, my friend, rises up. So there he is. Uh, it represents war, a time of no peace, a time uh, like the world has never seen before, wars and rumors of war. And then I notice the black horse in verse number five. 
The word of God said, when he opened the third seal, I heard the beast say, come and see, and behold, and lo, a black horse. The color black within itself speaks of darkness and death and desperation. He that set upon him had a pair of balances in his hand, meaning that there's gonna be a measuring that's going to take place. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. When you think about this in Bible days, a penny was a day's wages. And in my friend, the last days, uh, what it's gonna represent, this black horse coming in has a pair of balances in his hand. He talks about a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. What that means is a man will work an entire day for just a morsel of food. Inflation is gonna be so much on the rise uh, that you'll not be able to make enough money just to get through the day. I'm talking about a day's wages it'll take just to get enough, just for a little morsel of food. I'm telling you in America where we have thrown away so much food, they say that 15% of the average meal is thrown away uneaten and that $17.5 billion a year is spent on food in America that is thrown away and is never eaten while the rest of the world, most of the world is living in some form of poverty. In America, we're living in prosperity. I'm here to tell you, friend, while most people sitting in church have got more on their mind about 12 o'clock on Sunday as to where they're gonna eat, what local restaurant they're gonna go to, whether or not the roast is gonna burn, as to whether or not they meet with God, have revival, and sinners get saved. There's coming a day when the black horse is gonna ride into town, and I wanna tell you, desperation is gonna be on the rise. Food and famine is gonna come, my friend, like it's never been seen, and this country is gonna experience what the rest of the world has known to be a fact. How about it this morning? There's probably not a person sitting here that if you was to go home and open your refrigerator, that there's not more than enough food to eat for a day in it. If you was to go back and pull the, uh, the cupboard open, there's probably food in there that you've not touched in three months. Most people look through the cabinet in the fridge and say, well, I don't want this, I don't want that. I, what am I in the mood for today? How many times have we rode through town and we've said, well, I, I really don't wanna eat there, I don't wanna eat there. I'm just really not in the mood, I'm hungry, but I'm not in the mood for really anything. You ever been there? I'm talking about famines coming, friend. I'm talking about a time coming when people's gonna starve. When my friend, every rib on their body is gonna be seen. I'm talking about a time when obesity will be no more in America. People are so fat and lazy in these last days. Nowadays, people, listen, uh, they're so uncommitted to Christ, so uncommitted to the gospel. I know this isn't a popular sermon, but it needs to be preached, amen? I need it and you need it this morning. Most people are so sleepy-eyed. Uh, and listen, they'll stay up till midnight and eat whatever goes, whatever uh, they can find to feed themselves. But they wouldn't pray till midnight. They wouldn't pray. They wouldn't spend time in the Word of God in prayer. Most people are more concerned about going to the latest and greatest restaurant, getting the latest thing on the menu. They'll pay thirty-five dollars for a, a plate, or they'll play, pay twenty dollars for some special meal for some special occasion. Nothing wrong with that, as long as you're giving to missions and paying your tithes. Uh, 
but they wouldn't give a nickel to missions. If you take up an offering for a missionary, most will complain, well, why they always gotta give to missionaries? Why they always gotta give to missions? Or why is it always something that they're being asked for down at the church? But they'll go down and spend $100 a week, listen, eating out for some form of entertainment and never think twice about it. I'm not fussing about eating out. You know I eat out. But I'm telling you, friend, we're living in a society that's got their priorities mixed up. And I'd rather eat at the house and eat a bologna sandwich every day of my life as to, my friend, never give a nickel to the church, never support the work of God, and always feed in my belly. Somebody say amen to that. I'm talking about we're in trouble in this day and time. We're in trouble in this. We're gonna give an account to God as a nation for what we did with the prosperity that God has given us. Most people would have thought C.T. Studd was, was absolutely crazy to give $5 million away to missions. It was all he had. But I wonder, I thought this morning, as I was reading that chapter, Brother Danny, I thought this morning, that's crazy to this world. But I wonder how that's faring with C.T. Studd and Priscilla this morning. I wonder how it's faring with them in heaven right now. They chose to live in poverty, chose to live a life of, of hardship for the gospel's sake. Most people complain if they have to spend a little extra time just doing something for God. Well, I've worked a job and you know, I've, got, I've had to work a little extra at the church this week. Or I've had to work a little bit here and, and boy, I mean, but we'll whimper and whine about that. I'm talking about a man that didn't see his wife for 12 years and she didn't want him to come home. She wanted the gospel in the Congo and she said, I'm not physically able. He wasn't physically able to go. A doctor would not give him a permission to leave. He went to some businessmen and tried to get them to support his endeavors and they wouldn't do that. And so when finally they wouldn't do that, he just started his own mission board and stepped out by faith and went to the Congo, preached the gospel to the heathens. As Listen, after 12 years of not seeing her, she finally got to come and see the work. They spent two weeks together. She went back home and in 1928, she died. And I'll tell you, two years later, he stayed in the jungles and kept preaching and finally he died in the jungles. Why? For the cause of Christ. For the gospel. Amen. They love their life not unto death. They'd rather be living for Jesus and living a life that counts and so living in prosperity and comfort all the days of their life. Now I'm not fussing this morning if you got a nice house or a nice car. I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying this morning is we ought to do inventory today. I read the words of an atheist who said this, he said, if I believe the gospel, if I believe the gospel and if I believe there was a heaven and I believe there was a hell, he said, I would work day and night to rescue those that were going there. This morning, as we sit in an air-conditioned building, we drive air-conditioned vehicles, we have a nice facility here in both at sealed houses at home. The question is, how much are we giving to Christ? Desperation and pandemonium will break out all across this earth. You say, but preacher, I'm tired. I'm gonna tell you something. Everybody gets tired. Somebody say amen. Brother, I'm telling you, this flesh gets weary. This flesh gets tired. 
But I'm telling you, there's no resting place if we're gonna rescue the perishing. There's no, I know some of you gotta pull apart and take a little break every now and then. I'm talking about, friend, listen, we've only got one life to live down here. We've only got a certain number of days to live on this earth. I'll tell you, we ought to be doing everything we can for God. We ought to be giving 110%. I know you gotta work a job, but your job's your mission field. And when you get done, church ought to be your priority. You ought to raise your kids to give their life to the service of God and live for God and do more for God than they've ever done, amen. Don't whimper and whine and complain for what you do for Jesus Christ. Don't complain because you've been given the privilege to serve. The privilege to serve, not the the responsibility there is, but there's the privilege. I want to tell you at the judgment seat all that's going to matter is how many people we pulled from the pit. It's not going to matter the accolades and the rewards, and I know the crowns will be there on that day. It's not going to matter how much of a life of ease and prosperity we had down here, but how many people did we keep from the burning? How many people went to heaven as a result of our life? What did we do for Jesus? How much did we commit to the cause of Christ? It's not about trophies. It's not about titles. It's not about recognition. It's about just doing something, anything, to do something for the cause of Christ to make a difference in this walk of life. You know, I recently talked to somebody the other day that has it in their mind that they want to do something great for God. The problem is they're not committed to do the little things. And I told the person, after much prayer and waiting a long, long time, they don't go to this church. But I said to them, I said, listen, can I help you? They said, oh, please. I said, well, you're wanting to do these big, big things for God. Just do the everyday thing. Worry about the big things. Get up and live for Jesus every day. If you want to give a track to the person you work with, why in the world would God call you to the mission field? Come on now, don't die on me. If you won't give the waitress a track, well, God ain't going to call you to the Africa. You won't even give the waitress a track. Don't matter if you, you don't, if you won't even go on visitation. Why would God want you to be an evangelist? Well, I want to tell you some of the greatest. Do you know that C.T. Studd's dad was, was, was never a preacher, but he heard the preaching of Dwight Moody got saved. And I shared it in Sunday school every night. He wanted his boys to be saved. He, he wanted to see them come to know Jesus. So every night he would go to their door. They were not teenagers. They were young men, but he would go to their doorway and he would stand in the doorway. He would ask them. He would say to them in the darkness, would you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight? Stud said he would lay in the bed and act like he was asleep so he would not have to respond. But when his father Edward would walk away, the Holy Spirit dealt with his heart. Edward would have revivals in his home and bring preachers through to preach. He just had revival in his house. He would invite preachers to stay and invite neighbors over and they would preach. And one afternoon, Stud was... In 1878, I think it was, he was walking across the, he, he was a great cricket player. In fact, he, he, he set the records in England. If you go to England today and ask to give the name of, of C.T. Studd, every one of them knows who he is. He's in the top five. C.T. Studd would be equivalent to the Tim Tebow of our day, except he was a dedicated Christian. 
He said he was walking across that front yard and he said the preacher, the unnamed preacher stopped and said to him, he said, if you died today, do you have eternal security? And Stud said it stopped him dead in his tracks. He got born again. Stud said for the first five years of his Christian life, he believed himself to be backslid because the only thing he did was went to church and read the Bible. You say, how can a man that only went to church and read the Bible be backslid in his own words? He said, because I did nothing for the cause of Christ. He said, I just simply existed as a Christian. Read my Bible, went to church, but played my cricket. And one day his brother George got so deathly ill that he made him stop and think, think about life and how the brevity of life and how short life really is. And Studs said, I have to do something. And I'll tell you, if there was any one patriarch of yesteryears that I could meet, I, I think it would be Hudson Taylor because just like how the Taylor inspired Amy Carmichael, he also inspired uh, the, the preaching of or, or the life of C.T. Studd. And, and Studd heard Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China that God so greatly used. He, he heard him preach one day. It so moved his soul that he said, this is it. I must give my life. And he went to China and he met his wife and he married her there. Then he went to India and due to failing health, he came back. And when they said, you can't go anymore to the mission field, he said, I cannot give up my life serving Jesus. And when all others said, we'll not support you and you cannot go, he turned and he went anyway. Yes. He died there. He said, why would he do that? Because he realized he realized souls were dying. And my friend, when the black horse comes in, can you imagine the people that we know that are going to be left behind? I see finally the pale horse that represents death. The Bible said that he that sat upon him, was his name was death in verse number eight, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword and with hunger and with death, but notice this, and with a beast of the earth. But when you think about all the, the power that was given to death, this, this final fourth horse to ride the earth and to destroy one fourth of this earth, when you think about that this morning and you think about the magnitude of, uh, of the power that was given to destroy lives, even after all the death that has taken place, this fourth horse, this pale rider of this fourth horse is gonna come upon this earth and one fourth of the earth is gonna be destroyed as a result of this sword and this hunger and then death itself. But, but then it said even the beast of the field, the beast, it says not the field but the beast. You know, I was reading something the other day that it said that the most feared beast to man is not the lion, it's not the bear, but it's the rat. It said that rats carry 35 different types of diseases, that they only live where man lives. And that if you could destroy the entire rat population in one year, 95% of it, said if you could destroy 95% of the rat population in one year, it would be supplied again in just one year. They carry all these different diseases. Even their fleas carry the bubonic plague that in the 14th century destroyed a third of England. Can you imagine that? 
They carried typhus, which destroyed over 200 million people over, a, over four centuries. And, or, and, and you imagine the disease of that. And they said that if these rats were to, were to turn loose, these pestilence was to turn loose uh, on everything, uh, that it could destroy the earth uh, in a matter of days. Uh, I read that and I thought to myself, my Lord, uh, that's what Jesus spoke about when he said there would be famines and there would be pestilence in the last days. Uh, but he said, this isn't the end. It's just the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of sorrows. I'm telling you, listen, beasts are gonna turn on this world and pestilence gonna turn on this world like this world has never seen. Death is for sure coming. It's upon us in these days. It's upon a man once to die and after this, the judgment. But when this fourth seal is turned loose, death is gonna be an all-time high like the world has never seen before. You talk about a death toll rising around this world. It'll rise, my friend, at record-breaking numbers uh, that'll be too much for man to even comprehend. You say, preacher, what should these seals do this morning? It ought to do two things to this congregation. Number one, it ought to cause the lost to want to be saved. If you're here lost, I'll tell you, you ought to come running this altar and get saved. You say, Is it, preacher, how close can we be if the trumpet sounds? It's gonna be a reality. If I was lost this morning, I'd get saved. I wouldn't trust church membership. I wouldn't trust water baptism. I wouldn't trust paying tithes. I wouldn't trust being a good person. None of that's gonna get you to heaven this morning. Number one, it ought to cause the lost to be saved. Number two, it should cause we that are saved to be serious about serving Jesus Christ. I wanna tell you this morning, friend, there's more to this thing than just having church. I was sitting there this morning in my living room and I thought to myself, Lord, what am I doing for the cause of Christ? And I'm being honest with you this morning. I'm telling you, I sit there and I thought to myself, am I making, I'm not, you don't need to come up afterwards. I'm not fishing for any compliments this morning. I was doing inventory. I'm talking about one life to live for Jesus. One life to make a difference for eternity's sake. I don't want to waste a second. I don't want to waste a day of my life. I don't want to be so caught up and wrapped up in things that don't matter. I don't want to spend my time doing things that have no eternal value whatsoever. They don't, they're not going to matter on God's scale. I'm telling you this morning, if there's ever been a wake-up call in all of my life, it was this morning when I read this text and I thought to myself, what am I really doing for Jesus this morning? What are you doing? The devil will give you a thousand excuses. He'll make, he'll, listen, if you want to have a pity party, he'll spread the table and he'll invite the guest. And he'll tell you, well, you know, you know, you, you got this and you got that and you know, you just can't, it just ain't like it used to be. The bottom line is this, folks. I thought this to myself. I thought this about this preacher this morning. We do whatever we want to do in this life. In this country, we do what we want to do. We can blame it on everything and everybody, but I tell you what, this morning, if I'm not giving 100% to Jesus, it ain't nobody's fault. 
but the one you're looking at this morning. How about it today? But you want to make a difference. You want to make a mark. Don't worry about them big things. Go to work with a vengeance. Go to the restaurant with a burden. Give out tracts. Tell people about Christ. Get off the sideline and get on the front line and do something. Be faithful to that choir. Don't come dragging in here 20 minutes late to church. Come be on time. Be early. Don't be on time. Be early. Somebody say amen. amen. Be early. Fill that prayer room up. Yes. Brother Laddie come to me the other day. He said, I'm worried about the prayer room. I said, what's wrong? He said, people just don't come like they used to. You know what I thought about, Brother Daniel? I prayed about it this week. I thought about just shutting it down. Because I remember when it was packed out. I remember when we come out that door shouting, amen. I remember when everybody come in and I thought about it. I prayed about it. Still praying about it. I thought about just shutting it down. Go back to having a little 15-minute prayer for church. Amen. I'm not talking about people can't walk up them steps. But I'm here to tell you this morning, everything in, that we do around this church, every bit of it, don't mean nothing to me if we don't have the power of God. Amen. Brother David, and I know you'll agree, I don't care if it's wall to wall. If it ain't got no touch on it, I don't care how pretty it sounds. This guy has God. This guy have a touch on it. And I'm going to tell you, if we, we shut the prayer room down, we might as well just shut everything else down. Ain't that right, Brother Charles? But this is where we're at today. We are losing our burden. They don't need to come up and say, well, this or that. No, no, no. I'll tell you something. I don't want to be an inspector this morning. I get... We don't need thermometers in the church. Somebody say amen. Don't measure the service. You just leave that up to God. Amazing how we're hard on everybody else but ourselves. We're real critical of everybody else. But if we're not careful, if we don't pray and stay on our face, we won't see our hand for our, in front of our face of our own self this morning. I'm telling you. In these last days, don't you want to, don't you want to keep on keeping on? Don't you want this church to stay? Ten years from now, I want to see every one of y'all living for Jesus. I, I'm not so narrow-minded to think every one of y'all are saved, but I want to see every one of you get saved. I want to see every one of you live for Jesus. I want to see one of you go to hell. Not a one of you go to hell. I want to see God call every one of them to preach. Call everyone to be preachers' wives or be deacons or be Sunday school teachers. But you better put God first in your life. He has to be number one. Number one, number one. He'll never, if he's number two, he might as well be number 200. Because God plays second fiddle to no one. Is that right this morning? I'm telling you, are we making a difference? Are we dedicated? Are we committed? We was going, my wife brought something to my attention yesterday that always oh, so it stuck in my mind. It was the last thing I thought of when I went to bed last night. 
She's playing this old song on the piano, I Will Not Be Denied. And she said something. She said, what? She said, you don't hardly hear them old songs like you used to hear anymore. And I know we sing them, you know, but you don't hear them no more. Everything's a feel-good song, a make-me-happy song. Y'all with me this morning? Make me feel good. Make me feel... I, I, I was sitting in church a while back, and I thought, Lord, if I hear another, story, another song about a storm, I'm just... I know we have storms, but let's suck it up. Come on, y'all with me? Good night. Every song don't have to be about a storm because the spirit-filled people I know that are going through a storm, you can't hardly get them to ever talk about a storm. You can't ever get them to talk about their storms. This is the most whining. I'm preaching. I'm not, I hope y'all know this. I just, but I'll tell you, we are, this is the most anemic generation of Christians. They stump their spiritual toe and they, they got to lay out of church for three weeks and feel sorry for themselves and write a book about it. Don't you want to take courage? Don't you want to be committed? Make a difference. Could you see the face of one person? Could you see the face of just one person this morning? A friend. A family member. One person is going to hell. Can you see their face? They're going to hell. Could you get a burden for them this morning? Come on. Always stand. Come on.